Let us pray. Gracious Father, your word tells us that the law has authority over us only as long as we live. Thank you for uniting us to Christ's death through the waters of baptism. We are no longer under the law's authority. Instead, we are free, truly free. Help us this morning to believe this wonderful promise. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a confession to make. The confession is that I've had a terrible time the last few weeks preparing my sermons. They've been so difficult for me. Tremendously hard. Harder than I think ever it's ever been in my life. And, and it'd be easy to blame my daughter, Sydney, who keeps me up all night. But that's not the reason. That might be the reason for other you know, faults, but not for, for my sermon preparation. The real reason is that the last few weeks we've had hard passages, terribly difficult passages. Whoever picked out the lectionary cycle is mean. <laughs> and I guess I'm foolish for picking the hardest of those passages, so that I have to blame myself as well. Two weeks ago we heard from Zephaniah 3 about the day of the Lord. I mean, any talk about the day of the Lord is, is always will cause us a little fear and excitement and frustration. I mean, it's hard to understand what the day of the Lord is like. And then last week, from Romans 6, we were told that we are no longer slaves to sin, but now slaves to Christ. Now, that also presents its share of pro uh, problems. I mean, we end all of our services saying, you're free in Christ. And yeah, I just preached a sermon saying you're a slave. I mean, that gets a little difficult. Only Claude's smiling at that because... He caught it last week. But should it surprise us that the Bible would be difficult to read? Should it surprise any of us that even a pastor would struggle with the Bible? I mean, all of us have read passages that frustrate us. All of us have read passages in Scripture that, that literally makes our, or figuratively makes our, our heart stop. And we hold our breath because those words are so striking and so almost terrible that we just don't know what to do with them. We've all experienced that when reading scripture. Now when you come across such a passage, a good practice is, is often to ask, a, ask, a, ask what is it that's bothering you about the passage? I mean, why do you not like it? Is it because it's hard to understand? Or maybe it's just all too easy to understand and the sinner in you just doesn't like those words. I mean, it's good to find out what's bothering you. And then it's also good to go to a mature Christian and ask the Christian, you know, can you help me with that? Can you help me with this passage? It's bothering me. Do you have any insight? Have you read anything about it? So I encourage you to do that. I had to do that just this week with our passage for today. I had to call up Rick and say, Rick, I need help. This passage is difficult. Now, if you don't like the sermon, you can blame him for any insight he gave me. But the difficulty about this passage is verse 4 from Romans 7. Paul tells us, So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. 
In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, you have died to the law. You're dead. Now, last time I checked, I don't feel dead. I have a pulse. I can still breathe. And yet he's saying, you are dead. How are we to understand these words? They're a bit strange. I mean, Paul doesn't say you should die to the law. He doesn't say you will die to the law. He's not speaking metaphorically saying you have died to the law as it were. No. He says you have died to the law. In other words, you are dead. There's an old pastor, or there was a pastor in Minnesota named O.M. Norley. I don't know if any of you recognize that name. But O.M. Norley wanted to stress this fact from St. Paul that, that in Christ we died. And so to do that, he got a little creative. He decided to write an obituary for his congregation. And then he went a step further. He actually convinced the local newspaper to print it. And he said the actual funeral date would be that Sunday's worship service. Well, you can imagine how many people showed up to church that day. When they read the newspaper, what happened? Did the church close? Or, I mean, but he wanted to stress that point. In Christ, you have died. Tough language. I mean, does this mean then that we've died to the law? What does that mean? Does it mean we're no longer under the civil law? I mean, that would be, kind of be fun, don't you think? Could you imagine a cop pulling you over and you're saying, you know, sorry, officer, but according to St. Paul, I've died to the law, so you can have your ticket back. Hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah, right. I imagine the, the, the police officer would say, well, according to the state of California, you're still under law, so here's your ticket and here's another one. Paul's not referring, though, in these words to the civil law. He has a higher authority in mind. Paul's referring to God's law the law of Moses, but also the law that's written on our hearts. Paul is saying that as Christians, you're no longer under God's law. God's law no longer has a claim on you. You are dead to such a law. Now, it's at this point, you're all starting to sweat a little bit. You get a little nervous. This seems dangerous. We are really not under God's law? That's a little shaky for us. If you remember a few weeks ago, I told you about the man named Ed, who when he realized that he was free in Christ, he said to the pastor, Pastor, just don't tell my kids this. Because this is what seems dangerous. Are we really free from God's law? Is that what Paul is saying? And the answer is yes. He is. Now before we go a little farther, I mean, this is good news. I mean, what has the law ever done for you? The law of God causes wrath, Romans 4.15. The law of God increases the fall, Romans 5.20. The law of God works the realization of sin, Romans 3.20. The law has never produced a good work in you in your life, and it never will. And so it's good news that you're free from the law. But why are we troubled by this? What is it inside of us that, that, that troubles us with these words? It, what it is, is it's the old Adam inside of us, not the new living Christian. It's the old Adam that makes us uneasy with these words. The old Adam wants you to depend on the law of God. He wants you to depend on the law of God instead of Christ. 
The old Adam wants you to think that the, the best way to resuscitate you would be through the law. The old Adam is the one who tells you, oh, this, this country's falling apart. Our Christian church is falling apart. Pastor, get up there and start pounding. Pound it at them. Shout it at them. Put them in their place. That's what the old Adam in us wants. Because with the pounding, and the pounding of the law, there'll be more and more people terrified and frightened and more and more people tormented by the law. Romans, in verse 5 of our chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says this about the law. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. In other words, he's saying it's the law. Now, because of the, the sinful passions within us, it's the law that, that arouses the sinful passions within us. And you all understand that. The law says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And what do we say? Thou shalt too. <laughs> thou shalt will. <laughs> thou shalt do. Right? It, it arouses it within us. I mean, I have that with my daughter. Abigail, if I, if I want her to do something, all I have to say is, Abigail, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Abigail, you can't have that cookie. I sit back, I go to the other room, and before I know it, she has the ladder out. She has pillows on top of it. She's on the counter. She's taking off the cabinet, and she's looking, getting that cookie. Right? Because that's what the law does. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And you say, thou shalt so. And yet the law does more than just that. The old Adam in us convinces us that if we truly obey the law of God, if we trust that, if we're really truly obedient, then everything else will be okay. When I was young and new to the faith, I was so happy. I was so free. The gospel was preached to me, and I, I believed it. I, it was wonderful. It was good news to me. But then something happened. I started hanging around Christians. And then I started turning on the radio and listening to sermons on the radio. And these sermons, these pastors, just soured me. Because they kept talking about, you know, okay, in Christ you're saved. But that's the weak stuff. Now let's get to the serious business. Let's get to the, the rules. Let's get to the obedience. Let's get to the, the, the real work and the real heart of the matter. And then these pastors on the radio would start giving rules. Here are five rules to pray. Here are six rules to be a better giver. Here are 17 ways to really help your neighbor. And at first it seems good. Oh, great, I have these rules. Now I don't have to think. All I have to do is just follow these rules. Have you ever tried to follow rules? They're terrible. You start praying, you go, wait, I have to begin with A, adoration. Wait, but how's that different than C, confession? Wait, 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 no, am I now moving to T, the thanks? Or now is it S, the supplication? You get all confused. Or what happens if I don't want to adore God at this point? I just want to confess. And, and all these rules start getting in your head, and you don't know which way to begin or which way to end. And you're just consumed and tormented and nagged 
by the law. I was so tormented by the law and so afraid that my friends would lead me astray, because that's what the pastor told me, that I gave up my friends. And then I was told that our movies would lead me astray, so I gave up our movies. And when you're 18, 19, and you're looking at PG movies, it's kind of boring. I gave up movies altogether for a little while. And then that music. If you give up that music, then you'll be okay. I wasn't okay. I was rotten. It was terrible. I was miserable. I was tormented. That's what the law does. In fact, I was so tormented by the law, I remember often, and it didn't happen just once, I would have dreams about breaking the rules. And I was so tormented by that, I was crying in my own dreams. I mean, not only now was I suffering in my present consciousness, but in my dreams I was suffering from it too. I mean, that's what the law does. That's what Paul is saying. The law will actually torment you. It will nag you. That's the purpose, one of the purposes of the law. I think it's because of that, the nagging nature, the abusive nature of the law, that in Romans 7, the Apostle Paul equates the law to a bad marriage. Listen to verses 1 and 2. Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority. Now, that's sort of authority or lordship or jurisdiction or the law has bound you. The law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, so here's the illustration. By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. And I sat there, I kind of chuckled. I go, oh, great. So the woman's bound to the husband. Is, does she get the bad deal? That, that's a whole other sermon. But. but the whole point that he's saying, Paul's not speaking against marriage. He's not saying marriage is a bad thing. But he's saying that, that what marriage is like or what the law is like is like a bad marriage where you're stuck. You can't escape. You're so intertwined from this bad marriage that there's only one way out, and that way is death. You heard about that woman who, who said, was asked, hey, you were married for 50 years. Did you ever consider divorcing your husband? She said, divorce, no. Murder, yes. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what Paul's saying. You're stuck in this marriage. You're stuck, and you can't get out. That's what the law is like. Did you hear about those two brothers, Tom and Jack, who were the meanest men in town? One day, Tom died. And Jack came up to the pastor and said, Pastor, would you, call, would you call my brother Tom a saint? The pastor said, well, he's not really a saint. And, and Jack said, well, I have $10,000. I know you're in a building uh, fund campaign, so will you call him a saint? The pastor said, okay, I'll do that. And so then the whole town knew about this, and so everyone showed up to the funeral to see if he'd really call him a saint. And this is what the pastor said. He said, you know, Tom was a mean man. He was a thief, he was a drunk, he mistreated his wife. But compared to his brother Jack, Tom was a saint. <laughs> I should do that, we'll go around. But I bet when Tom died, his wife was happy. When a mean, 
husband or a mean wife dies, and you're free, really free, then you have a chance to be happy. Then you have a chance to blossom. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying the, lie, the law is a tyrant, is a tyrant. The law won't help you. The law cannot resuscitate you. The law is the one that has put you in that awful place to begin with. Either the law must die or you must die. Reformation, I have some good news. I have some great news for you. You have died to the law through the body of Christ that you might be long, literally, that you might be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that you might bear fruit to God. In other words, that horrible marriage to the law is done. You're now united to Christ. You're married to Christ. You're united to him. All his goodness, all his mercy, all his love, that's for you. And I love this because it said in verse 5 that the law causes passion that leads to death. Compare that then to our new bride, or our new groom, Christ, whose passion, same word, his suffering on the cross, leads to life. The old Adam will kill you. The new Adam, Christ, your new husband, will bring you life. On the cross, when Jesus died, he died so that you would live. You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. Or in the waters of baptism, you were buried with Christ into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you too might walk in newness of life. Or Colossians 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God which ultimately means you're no longer under the law, no longer under the conditions, no longer under its authority, no longer under its damnation. Which really means on this Sunday after the 4th of July, you are freer than you can ever imagine. Much freer than this country can provide. There's no taxes with God. <laughs> you are free. And so that leads us then to that final question. Well, what then should we do? Still seems dangerous. What should we do? Well, that's easy. Bear fruit. What does that mean? Well, come to the Lord's table. Have a foretaste of that wedding feast that is to come. And after church, go home. Play with your children. Call your grandchildren on the phone. Go to the beach. Have fun. Talk with your neighbor. Invite your neighbor's kids to church. Have a good meal. Have a good drink. Have fun today. You're free. Pray to Jesus. He loves you. He likes hearing from you. Read his word. These aren't rules. You're free. At this point, it's only about benefit. Enjoy yourself. Love your neighbor. Care for your family. 
Most importantly, though, look forward to that wonderful day when he who raised Christ from the dead will raise you from the dead in glory. Not so bad. Not so bad for people who have died. In Jesus' name, amen.